Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So, life has pressure to it, doesn't it? You all know that. Uh, Whether it is at work, uh, whether you have a very demanding boss, or uh, or you are the demanding boss, whatever it may be, life has pressure to it. Or in family life, or with your friends, um, perhaps if you are studying, then you know the pressure of deadlines. Uh, Life has pressure, and sometimes this pressure can be of the more extreme variety. Sometimes we go through that. Uh, um, About a year ago, we were at the morning meeting in Fallowfields, and uh, there are a few Iranians that have joined uh, that church there uh, and one of them gave his testimony uh, and he said look um, about three years ago I wasn't a believer I was uh, living in uh, a city in Iran and uh, I didn't believe in Jesus I was a Muslim but I had drug and alcohol problems as well uh, and uh, um, a friend of mine was a Christian he told me about Jesus uh, I think he started listening to Christian radio as well that was broadcast in uh, and he gave his life to God turned his life around he um, the, was no longer had a problem with drugs or alcohol um, but his family weren't impressed because uh, to be in Iran and to be Muslim and then to convert to Christianity actually is a pretty dangerous thing to do uh, so he's cast out by his family but he joined a church um, but then after about I think it was about seven or eight months someone said to him look the secret police know what you've done and actually f- to convert from Islam to Christianity is dangerous so they said you just got to get out and he said three days later after being told that in my home in Iran I found myself in Britain not being able to speak any English at all poor fella so uh, that is pressure but actually he talked to and he, had, he did this test me in English he has a job there are a few Iranian guys in that church doing very very well But life can be difficult, whether for a brief season, perhaps, or a long stretch. Actually, pressure is inescapable, isn't it? But we have to deal with it. Actually, we need some resilience in life. We need to be able to deal with pressure realistically and in a meaningful way. So this morning, perhaps you come to church this morning and you are a believer in Jesus. Well, this morning we'll think about how does that help us? How does Jesus help us to thrive under pressure? But equally, you might be here thinking, I don't think I believe in Jesus. Well, this morning I want to challenge you to think about this. Actually, we're going to look at how being a follower of Jesus helps us to deal with the pressures of life and more than deal with them how do we thrive under pressure and we're going to look at the book of James and actually we're going to spend a few weeks maybe a month or two working through the book of James which is just a brilliant book of the Bible if you've not read it I encourage it it's like New Testament Proverbs it's an amazing uh, piece of literature is worth reading I find it actually quite easy to read because he skips through at quite a pace and it's quite short so all of those things are in its favour so Uh, We're going to read. If you have got Bibles, do you want to open your Bibles to the beginning of James? Uh, If you haven't got your Bible, it will appear up on the screen. If you've got a Bible, bring it with you on Sunday. I find it is better to read in ink than digitally. If I'm reading it on my phone, I often find, before I know it, I'm checking some football on the BBC Sport. That's my confession (laughs) for you. So I don't use Bible on my phone simply because I'm not disciplined enough. So, 
Let's look at James 1. Uh, we'll look at the first 11 verses. I will read it for you and we'll have a good time. Okay, so James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the winds. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flowers fall and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits so before we dive into this and think about how to thrive under pressure, uh, we, we need to understand a little bit about the book of James. And when you read the New Testament, sometimes, particularly in the New Testament, it can be very helpful to think about who the person was that wrote it and who they were writing to. That can, that can just help you understand it a lot. So let's just think real quickly about that. Who is this James character? Uh, and he introduces himself, how you wrote a letter in those days, instead of saying to who it was, you know, dear Dave, who you're writing to, you write, this letter is from me, James. So James is who it is, but who is he? Naturally, in the New Testament, there are a few different Jameses, but it seems like that this one was probably James, the brother of Jesus. And he is the most significant James in the New Testament. He's referred to a few times, firstly, by Paul. So Paul in Galatians talks about James, the Lord's brother one of the apostles. Okay, so it seems most likely that James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time uh, and had become as influential, maybe more influential than Peter. And Peter was a pretty big deal in the church for obvious reasons, but James actually had become a very significant character. If you read Acts, you'll find actually James, when he talks, people really listen to what he's saying, listen to his influence. But James also appears in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, uh, Matthew uh, wrote a biography of Jesus' life uh, and uh, refers to James just once, actually. Uh, and there are a few people who are talking about Jesus and they're saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? So wasn't this Joseph's boy, whose mother is Mary, and his brothers are James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. Okay, so James, brother of Jesus. Now, I am a brother. I am a brother of my brother, Matthew. Okay, now, I'm relatively competitive, particularly with my brother. I, we had a holiday with them once a number of years ago. I beat him a couple of times in board games, and I could live off that joy for months. I mean, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. I, I like to beat my brother in as many different ways as is possible, which is quite easy, because he's not as cool as me. So, but imagine being the brother of Jesus. Okay, just imagine that difficulty for a moment. Okay, the greatest preacher 
the world has ever known. Okay, also, he walked on water. Like, not like, oh, he's the favoured son, he walks on water. He actually walked <laughs> on water. He turned water into wine, raised the dead, healed the sick, fed thousands upon thousands of people. Huge crowds followed him wherever he went. Imagine being his family. Actually, that would have been very difficult, wouldn't it? Very difficult. In the Gospel of Mark, it talks about actually how his family heard him speak and went out to seize him. It says he's out of his mind. Jesus' family are like, he's gone crazy. We need to stop him saying the stuff he's saying. So James, actually, while Jesus was alive, didn't believe in him. Like, knew he existed, knew Jesus existed as a person, he was related to him, but didn't believe in him. Which is interesting, isn't it? Just to pause for a moment and think, we can actually know that Jesus exists, we can turn up at church, we can do all of those things, but you can still not believe in him. James, his actual brother, didn't believe. So what changed his mind? Actually, uh, Paul again refers to James in 1 Corinthians uh, when he lists some people that the resurrected Jesus appeared to, which included James. Imagine what that meeting had been like. There's my brother, he's back from the dead and he's talking to me. This is incredible. And it was a life-changing moment for James. Uh, And actually he becomes involved in the church and this is the James that we are reading now today. So that's who James is, but who is he writing to? Well again, James gives us a clue. He says, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Okay? Which is slightly odd language for something that's quite simple. Let's understand it. So in the book of Acts, a gentleman called Stephen stands up to preach, challenges the leaders, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, accuses them of murdering the Messiah, this king that they had been waiting for. This does not go down well. Stephen is stoned to death. And a great persecution hits the church. And what this means is many people fled from Jerusalem. That was one of the great moments of gospel expansion out into Europe and into Asia. Persecution comes, many of them fled. Um, Except, it seems, some of the apostles, um, they stayed. Most likely, that included James as well. He stayed in Jerusalem. Now, if you are to flee your country... That comes with great problems, like our friends uh, from Iran that we were talking about at the beginning. Or perhaps if we were uh, to talk to Andre, who was with us last week, about what it's like to flee your country. Uh, Sometimes in the case of persecution, actually, he he knew that his life was in danger uh, where he was in the east of Ukraine. Our friend in Iran, he knew the same thing as well. Uh, And actually, you can face poverty. You can face homelessness, just general discomfort, but also you, you leave yourself open to exploitation as well. And we see this actually as people flee out of North Africa into Europe. Some of the stories of exploitation and ending up in slavery are just are chilling, and that, that's on our continent in Europe. Actually, to flee is a, is a very dangerous thing. And so James is writing to these people that had fled persecution. And actually, those people that fled probably... Uh, were uh, new believers, I would have thought. The church was relatively new to them. Uh, Think about it, most of the New Testament hadn't been written at that moment. So the depth of uh, potential knowledge and understanding we have and experience that we have a few thousand years later wasn't available to them. So they were fleeing, perhaps uh, without many tools in their armory, to look after them. So they were saved, they were Christians, but it seems from the way James writes that actually they hadn't quite worked out how to apply that faith into real life, into daily living. 
how not to get caught up in legalism, but how actually to live by the freedom of what Jesus has done for us and how that changes our hearts. They were still doing those journeys, still joining those dots. So the church has grown quick and scattered very quickly as well. So James is writing to them and he calls them the 12 tribes. In other words, the people of God who have fled. And he writes to them. He is their pastor. He feels their pain. He knows what they're going through. So he sends this letter for them to read. And that's what we get to read today. So let's think about what James says. And and he's asking, how do we thrive when we are under pressure? And he offers us some guidance. So let's look at that. The first thing he says is that you should count it all joy. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now joy... Joy is one of those words that we, we sometimes, we've churchified it a little bit to maybe make it not quite as helpful uh, as it's meant to be. It can trip us up. So when James says, look, count it all joy, my brothers, to those of you that have all fled and gone through great difficulties, he's saying, please cheer up. Okay, just get your act together, man up, behave yourselves, just be ch- turn that frown upside down, it's all going to be fine, don't worry about it. Uh, actually, no, he's not saying those things at all. You wouldn't. Would you say that to someone who was going through those things? You just wouldn't say that. Actually, what James is dealing with here is one of the the great questions of what it is to be a Christian. One of the great questions of what it is to be a believer, to have faith. And that is very simple, is why does God let things, bad things happen to people that follow him? Why do the righteous suffer? It's a great question, isn't it? Uh, and uh, he really says, actually, you know what? There's no answer. I'm not offering you an answer to that. But what he is saying is there's great opportunity here. We are to know that suffering, pressure, difficulty allows us to grow in maturity. And actually, we need to be mature in how we handle that and be careful as we handle that. Because he's not using that as a stick to beat him with. He's not, they're, they're, he's not in a conversation where they're saying, this is difficult. And he's saying, well, God is going to use it for your goods. Uh, uh, and beating them with that. Mm-hmm. Actually, he's being their pastor. He's trying to help them see, help them grow, help them learn. A good friend of mine, a number of years ago, actually when I first got to know him, uh, was in the midst of a, a, a pretty hard nervous breakdown. Made a real mess of him. Very, uh, you know, very slow recovery for him. Took him a number of years uh, to get the medication right, to get the counselling right, to rebuild his life again. He was a follower of Jesus, but it just it took him a long time. Um, but we talked loads, and he, he said, "Look, I've learnt that I am fragile in a number of different areas, and that I need to look after myself better." He said, "Look, I've realised." I'm a bit obsessive, and so I work very, very long hours, and then when I do that for a few months, it breaks me. And that's what happened to him. Uh, and we had these conversations. And then a few years ago, it happened to him again. And he said to him, I did it again, I had a really tough time at work, I was pulling 70-hour weeks, did it for a couple of months, and then I snapped. And I knew exactly the moment it happened. He said, but actually, because it happened before, I knew the medication to ask for, I knew what to talk to with my counsellor, and actually I recovered really quickly. I wasn't off work for very long this time. Uh, it was a much better recovery. And he would say, and we talked about this, he would say, look, the suffering of the first time round actually produced maturity within me, produced steadfastness within him. 
Was the suffering fun in any way? No, obviously, that's not the meaning of the word suffering. Did I ever tell him, look, mate, just cheer up. God's clearly doing something. You'll be fine. No, I didn't say those things to him. But did his suffering produce good stuff in him? Yes, it did. Lots of good stuff, actually. He allowed it to happen. He allowed testing to produce steadfastness within him. So joy, as James talks about it here, is seeing what God is doing, taking the situation, turning it to God, allowing God to use it. I don't want to be flippant about this because actually many people suffer, don't they? Physically, financially, relationally, emotionally, lots of different reasons. And (coughs) CCM should be a great place for people to come and suffer. Not our taglines, not our vision statement. (laughs) Come here, suffer and die. (laughs) But it should be a good place to suffer, shouldn't it? But we don't stop there. We don't just kind of spin around in our suffering. Actually, it's a good place for us to suffer and then realise, actually, I turn this to God. That's what joy is. I allow him to produce steadfastness, perseverance within me. And sometimes, as I'm sure the people who are reading this letter from James were often found themselves thinking, and perhaps we find ourselves thinking at various times, why is this happening? Why? I mean, I've not done anything wrong, and yet this is happening to me. And actually, there isn't always a reason. I've been pastoring for 10 years, and people will come and talk about difficult things, and often the question is why, and usually I was like, really don't know. I'm not sure there is a why to this, but... There is a a, a way through. There is a chance, actually, to grow in our love for God because of what's happening. So James says, look, there's a way to take joy uh, in what is going on and allow God to mature us. And then he keeps moving. He says, look, this maturing produces steadfastness, so perseverance, but also it's an opportunity for wisdom here. So he says, look, count this joy but also ask for wisdom. In verse 5, he he spells it out. It says, look, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. And he gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. And that's important. We're going to look at that in a minute. Ask in faith with no doubting, okay? It's important that. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the winds. That person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, James, post a warning here. We'll come to that in a minute. So I don't know about you, uh, this may just be me because you guys all look very wise to me, but often in life I find myself thinking, I've no idea what I'm supposed to do. Absolutely no idea. And it happens, seems more as I get older. You'd think it would decrease with experience and beard greyness, but nothing. Uh, It just seems to get more and more. And actually we've noticed this with having children. I thought once they got past the toddler kind of setting fire to stuff stage, everything would be fine. Um, but actually, as they get older, the decisions become more complicated, I've noticed. Um, and there are any numbers of times where we just find ourselves going, I've got no idea. Have you got an idea? No, I've not got an idea either. And so what do we do in those moments? Well, James says, actually, ask God for wisdom. Actually, it's interesting in that just to ask God for He doesn't say, pray to God that he will give you the answer to what to do. He says, ask God for wisdom. There's something deep-rooted in becoming wise, isn't there? Not just in turning on the tap of a, a quick answered prayer, then you get on with life. Actually, there's a growing in wisdom to happen. He says, ask God for wisdom, 
God is generous, so ask him in faith. In other words, look, ask for this wisdom and God will provide it for you. So when pressures, when trial comes, we get to grow in maturity, in joy and in asking and growing in wisdom as well. Now it's interesting in this passage that there are kind of two people here that James has kind of created for us to understand. There's the person that asks for wisdom, there's some humility there, then there's a desire to grow in maturity as well and they ask for wisdom. That's person one. And then there's person two, the doubter. You see, let him ask in faith with no doubting. Okay, so he's not talking about sometimes the occasional doubts that we have in life uh, when you know which is just normal way of being human actually uh, in order to have faith you have to step through the doubt don't you so he's not saying good christians never have a doubting thought ever that's not what he means but he's talking about someone who has kind of the lifestyle of doubt they have become the doubter he describes them as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind uh, and a wave of the sea has absolutely no power control or anything over its existence. It's moved around by all the other waves, by the elements that are around it, uh, and often will disappear and appear somewhere else. So if you are out in a boat and you watch a wave, you can't watch it for very long because it kind of disappears and then turns into something else, doesn't it? So James is saying, look, the doubter lets life happen to them. The doubter actually abdicates all responsibility. The doubter doesn't bother to try and connect with God. Life just kind of rolls over them and causes chaos for them. The lifestyle of doubt doesn't commit, doesn't even commit to asking God for wisdom, doesn't allow God to grow, is stubborn in their own way of doing things, is not wise. Because those two people that James wants to highlight, which one are you going to be? So he's saying, look, this pressure, these trials, these difficulties in life, actually, they produce faith within us. We grow, whether we like it or not, when we are under pressure. So I had a few guys at at, at Fallowfields, um, on the other sites I leave, they come and talk to me and say, Tim, I'm just feeling like my faith is difficult at the moment. I feel like I'm becoming dry and stagnating a little bit. And they all thought, and they were, because they were always surprised when they talked to me, they all thought I was going to say, just read your Bible more, pray more. That's what we need to do. Just do that. And I said, actually, probably what you need to do is get some pressure in life. Actually, maybe faith is stagnating because there's nothing going on in your life which requires you to have some faith. You need some trials to test you, to bring maturity to you, which is not the answer they were quite looking for. But it's true though, isn't it? Actually, I know for myself, all of this, any significant growth in maturity and faith have come with pressure, not in the times of easiness. So again, I've been led church now for um, just over 10 years. Uh, I've noticed this strange myth kind of can appear around church leaders. Uh, and that, that is that they are somehow the most sorted and mature person in the room. And as we get to know each other, Gordon, you'll realise it's probably not true in my case. Um, but there is that myth there. And actually, uh, the myth is that they've actually always been like that. Like they come out of a shed of mature church leaders and then are just put in charge of a church somewhere. Uh, But actually, for me, most of my growth, most of my most dramatic kind of spiritual and faith growth came after I started leading things. I grow in wisdom and maturity because of stepping out in faith, because of pressure applied. When we are tested, when we're desperate 
for the help of God, then we ask for wisdom, don't we? You don't ask for wisdom when you're in a place where you know everything that's going on and life is easy. So James says, look, this is how you thrive under pressure. You count it joy. You allow God to work in you. You ask for wisdom and he will give you wisdom. And finally, you will get some perspective. Oh, I didn't change that. That's still, that should say, not ask for wisdom, get some perspective. Fortunately, I have perspective on it, so it doesn't bother me in any way at all. Uh, okay, so let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the, in his, uh, the, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Having a, a healthy perspective on your circumstances, on what's going on in life is really very important, isn't it? When we lose perspective, uh, then things, uh, it doesn't help us at all, does it? And perspective does not come from comparison with other people. Perspective actually only comes from eternity. So James uses this example, he says, look, those of you that are poor, says the lowly brother, but those of you that don't have much, you boast in your exaltation. But those of you that have got lots, so the rich, you boast in your humiliation. It's like a strange language. What does he mean by that? Well, he's saying, look, actually, our life circumstances are to be seen through how God sees us, not how we see us. Not how we may look at someone else and see them, but actually through our position in Jesus. Uh, that is the, the kind of the, the glasses that we see our situation. Okay, so James actually, he's, he's borrowing from Jeremiah here. So if we flick on to what Jeremiah writes, well, God says this in Jeremiah. He says, look, the wise man, uh, let him not boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We thrive when we see our lives from God's perspective, not ours. So we might delight when life is good. So I might delight actually when uh, I've got enough money, when there's good stuff on TV, when family life is happy, when things are going well in life. I'm like, winner. Think I'm enjoying life. I delight in that at the moment. But what does God delight in? He says, well, actually, I delight in steadfast love, commitment to him. I delight also in justice and righteousness in the earth. And you think, okay, well, there's some different things that are being delighted in there. So I need to view things through that. But those things actually are a hard one to delight in those things. So if we go back to James, uh, verse 11, he says, look, the sun rises with its scorching heat. And withers the grass. The sun rises with its scorching heat. That is the circumstances of life. The difficulty with life. The sun rising with its scorching heat. The people reading that, yep, yeah, that's what happened when we fled Jerusalem because of persecution. That was a scorching heat of difficulty. And what does it do? Well, it can wither the grass. Its flowers fall. Its beauty perishes. Perhaps if you have lots of possessions in Jerusalem, but you had to flee and leave it all behind, that would feel like the sun burning through all that you owned, wouldn't it? Mm. Comparison in these situations is unhelpful because life is outside of our control, much of life. And actually, perhaps, uh, as I think about this, I think I don't really have much understanding of what that means. So if I was to talk to our friends uh, from Iran in Fallowfields or Andre, excuse me, 
I would know that, uh, or they would explain to me what their life was like and how things happened that were totally outside of their control, mm -hmm. which mes meant they lost friends, family, home, mm -hmm. all of those things that they can't ever go back to. That's a very difficult thing, isn't it? Now, comparison is unhelpful because there is much outside of our control. My friend's dad, he worked for the same company his whole life. He got the job when he was 16 and he was going to retire at 65. He worked for them his whole life. Okay, and that's what he did. He had family, his kids grew up, he had grandchildren, and then he was coming up to retirement, and, and so he'd been putting into the pension. It's a good thing to do, it's what we're encouraged to do. He did everything that was sensible and wise, but just before he retired, the company went bust. And in going bust, what they discovered was they had taken all the employees' pension contributions and spent it on the company. So there was nothing there. So he'd gone from having a plan that would have kept him and his wife uh, okay when they they were uh, retired to having no money at all. Was that anything to do with him? It was not his fault at all. He was uh, not high up in the company. He was just a worker there, totally outside of his control. That's the, the scorching heat of sunshine there, isn't it? Very difficult life circumstance. And James says, look, whether you are the lowly or the rich, Okay, you need good perspective on what you have. Now remember, he was sending this letter out to numbers of churches that would have sprung up. And I, I kind of imagine this letter arriving in the church and then somebody reading it out and maybe the lowly brother and the rich brother were sat next to each other. Uh, it's just a nice image. Uh, and one of them would be thinking, yeah, okay, that's me. And the other one thinking, oh gosh, that's me. I need some perspective. Uh, and the lowly brother thinking, oh, I'm going to get raised up. That's a good thing. And then the rich one thinking, okay, I need to remember that I'm not saved by my wealth. Actually, that's my humiliation. My wealth doesn't save me. I could lose it all in a moment. That's the perspective of heaven there. So how do we thrive under pressure? Just to finish. When we think about this, we need to think about the humanness of Jesus. Okay, the humanity of Jesus. And the fact that this letter was written by his brother, I find, just kind of earths Jesus a little bit for us. When we think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a very classic moment. And we think, did he kind of wander in there with total zen-like calm, really not really worried about anything that was going to happen, because he's thinking, I'm God, what could go wrong? No, he didn't want to suffer. What did he pray? Please don't let me suffer. Take this cup from me. It's a good, honest prayer. If you come and uh, pray at the end, you say, Tim, this is going on in life. My first prayer won't be, right, joy, this is going to be good for you. My first prayer will be, Carl, please let it end. Mm. Suffering needs to end. We know that. We look at uh, what Jesus is going to do, how he's going to recreate heaven and earth. Suffering is not going to be in the new creation. That's a good thing to know. But then what does Jesus say? He says, well, take this cup from me, but it's not my will. It's yours, God. Actually, it's not my plan. It's not my intention. It's not my perspective. It's your perspective, God. Actually, God, it's not what I delight in. It's not the things that make me happy. God, Father in heaven, it's the things that you delight in. Righteousness and justice and steadfast love. Mm. That is our prayer to God.